goal of this podcast is to help you break in and thrive in advertising. And we do that by interviewing successful people that have made it on the other side. Today, I talk with George Tannenbaum, founder and creative of his own company, George Co. LLC. But here is his bio. George has spent well over half his life in advertising business, yet he still manages to be a nice guy. He currently makes his living working directly for clients and agencies. Before that, George spent five years at Ogilvy helping run his dream account, IBM, and George also has worked on Ogilvy on IBM from 1999 to 2004. Before Ogilvy, George worked for five years as an executive creative director at RGA, running the Ameriprise business, which was RGA's first traditional advertising account. George has also worked for some of America's most storied agencies, including Hal Ryanian Partners and Ali and Gargano and Lowe. George has won major awards for both creativity and effectiveness in four media channels, traditional, direct, interactive, and experiential. He's won a total of 15 FEs, including the Grand FE and the 550 Sustaining FE. He might be the only person on earth to have done that. George also writes a very popular advertising blog, Ad Age, that was called a most influential marketing blog by Business Insider. He lives in a small house on the sea in Connecticut with his wife, Laura, and the world's cutest golden retriever. This is a super exciting episode. George has years of experience, and he actually wrote a list of resources he recommends for you to break into advertising. We have them all listed out on our Instagram breaking and entering pod one more time that's our instagram at breaking and entering pod so go there to see what he recommends i'm excited for you to listen to this episode with george now on with the show this is the breaking and entering advertising podcast and as usual i am your accomplice gino schellenberg kick it mikey All right, George Tannenbaum, welcome to the Breaking and Entering Advertising Podcast. Thanks so much for coming on. Excited to have you. How are you doing today? And you're in and you're in Connecticut, correct? I am in Connecticut. My wife and I are older. When COVID hit Manhattan, we we moved up here for three weeks, and now 125 weeks later, we're still up here. We still own our home in Connecticut, and we're back about once every two months, but. We live right on the sea here, so it's nice. It's quiet. It's boring. Uh, That's but good. These days, boring is good. Yeah. 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 I've never been, but I'm sure it's beautiful. To, to Connecticut, it has its moments. It has its, its spots that are bucolic and stuff like that. It also has a, a tired uh, side to it, too. too uh, old and calcified, which I don't. I'm a yeah. city person. Okay. And you've been in New York for a majority of your career? I went to college in New York. I got my first jobs in New York. I spent 2004 and five in San Francisco at hmm. an agency that I think is gone now, Hal Reine, but it was a very good and prestigious place. And you worked with him? Uh, no, he was gone. He wasn't dead, but he was gone from the agency. I worked for Kirk Souter who had founded Ground Zero with Court Crandall and was a, a big star in the business. And then I spent two years, I'd like to say, getting my PhD in digital. 
I was mid forties at the time. And I said, she was, if you don't know digital, you're, and you want to get old, you're screwed. So I, I became head of office at, uh, Digitas hurts even to say it in Boston. And, uh, I learned the thing or two there. It hurts to say, why is that hurt to say? Because I think, I think a lot of, and this is probably a macro point and I'm probably getting to my macro points too soon, but I think it's hard not to get political these days, but I think a lot of the advertising industry, both on the client side and the agency side, no longer really believes in advertising. We're looking for magic bullets and technologies that will that will circumvent the role, the vital role that communications has always played in introducing something or selling something or getting you interested in something. And we've over the last 25 years, since really the advent of the internet, we said, oh, well, we can do it with targeting or we can do it with a click now button that glows orange, or we can right. do it with whatever they call the programmatic, or we can do it with this or that or the other thing. No, you can't. I Digitas were, was at the time populated by consultants who thought there was some alchemy to advertising that you could turn data into gold and you can't. The only thing that turns into gold is getting people's attention and convincing them. And that's hard work. It's not data. Interesting. I'm very clear about my prejudices. They might not be right, but I'll stick to them. Hey, as long as you have a point of view and yep, it's good. Yeah. That's why you're on this podcast. So you say you have, I'm sure you have a lot of macro points here like you mentioned and a way that you get your macro points out today is through your blog that's an interesting way of phrasing it yes that is correct but that wasn't the reason i started the blog was really simple it was 2006 or 7 i had a partner who was very bright still friendly with him tori clayson I had been fired or digitas and he, he knew me well enough to know that if I didn't have a coterie of people around me to talk to, I would lose my mind. So he said, write a blog. I had never even read a blog. What year was this? 2007. What was the blog scene like there in 2007? It was sparse. There were people... I hadn't entered the blog scene yet. I think Bob Hoffman was writing a blog. But I think that was the only blog I was really looking at. And then there are some esoteric blogs about being a Mets fan or something like that. But what Tori was the impetus for doing the blog. The other impetus was even with the name, I'm sure you go through this too, as Gino Schellenberg. With a name like George Tannenbaum, I wasn't the first on the Google lookups of George Tannenbaum. And I go, that's bad. Because this is how people find people. And if you're not first, I'm really glad my name isn't Kate Smith. Yeah. But but if you're George Tannenbaum, you better be first. And I realized I wasn't first and I had to do something about it. Now, I don't know anything about SEO. I don't want to know anything about SEO. I just know that if that essentially 
as human beings, we have a virtual storefront and we have to attract people to our store. And one way of doing that is putting a sign out front. So I put a big George Tannenbaum sign up in the form of a blog and said, I got to figure out something to write every day. And writing's what I do. I've evolved into its raison d'etre, but I didn't start with one, really. I just started with needing to type, practice type. I was doing typing practice. I was doing Mavis Beacon. No, I'm kidding. But that's what I was doing. So it was really to get myself, I didn't start going, I need to build a brand. I started just because I needed to talk to people. I needed something to do every day and I needed the pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Because you fired or slash quit at Digitas. You had the time or was it? So it wasn't for a job searching tool. It was just. It it, it was a job searching tool. It was all that stuff. It was, it was a point of view. It was a job searching tool and I had the time. Yeah. It was all that stuff, but it was just like me in the podcast. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, but it wasn't really calculated. It found it's like water seeks its own level. It found its place. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so I what was your first blog post? Well, originally, and don't take offense to this being in the, again, but at the time, I think I did a calculus that General Motors was losing. If I'm not incorrect, they were losing a million dollars a minute or something at the time. It was a really, at the time, I think their valuation was $5 billion or something like that. Ford was in pretty much the same boat. And so I used to talk to, because I had straddled kind of the traditional world and the new media world in advertising, where it's one of the early ones to straddle it. I used to ask people in the ad business, Will Madison Avenue, the traditional Madison Avenue, become Detroit? Will we become Mm -hmm. so caught up in our underwear drawer that we won't notice what's going on in the world and how people are using media in different ways? And so it started with that thesis of kind of the decrepitude of manufacturing in Detroit, their kind Mm -hmm. of lack of saliency in making a product that people wanted. their hubris in thinking that people are going to buy it anyway because they're the big three. We're going to keep calling ourselves the big three even when we're not the big three anymore, as they still do. But that's okay. So it it evolved from there. And then it just, I found a voice and I found an audience and I changed things along the way. I changed my philosophy, my beliefs along the way a little bit. Of course. Uh, But yeah, that, that was really how it started. It was looking at if I were going to be an historian about this, like the rise and fall of complacencies, what Adam Morgan, the planner, calls a dominant complacency, that the world believes this is going to be the way the world always is, even when the world is no longer like that. Mm-hmm. So a lot of Madison Avenue in mm-hmm. the early 2000s were still, if we just buy TV, we're going to be fine. They And there were a lot of counterpoints of people saying TV is dead, which of course it's not and never will be. But I was trying to find, I was trying to find a point of view that, that 
spoke to a more multi-channel view, which is what I believe in. So since you started the blog, what opportunities, because you've been very consistent with it. Yeah. What opportunities did you find along the way since starting the blog? What has it done for you? It's been, it's probably the single, outside of marrying my wife and having children and having a dog and taking my vitamins, it's probably been the best thing I've ever done in my life. In that it's helped me create a name for myself. I seem to be known everywhere. If I were, if my, if I were planning a trip to Mumbai for July and I wrote about it on the blog, I would have invitations to go to agencies in, in a world without, in a, in an industry with really no leaders now, yeah. uh, somewhat by default <laughs> and consistency, I'm the leader. So I get a surprising number of people reaching out to me because they've seen the blog or they've yep. seen my presence on LinkedIn and it's a new business tool. Now you may or may not remember there was a time when if you were going through looking at different agencies, websites, they're all the same. They say about work, services, leadership. team. Yeah. And then sometimes they'll say blog and, and you could probably find a couple today that still say blog. And then you look at the blog and they haven't read since 2017. Of course. That's not the way you do it. Just from this podcast, that's not the way you do it. You have to be in it to win it. And you have to, you don't have to write as obsessively as I do, but you have to, you have to write, you have to do consistency. It. I know that sounds, yeah. And so the consistency I've taken in the last year and a half, I realized something that a few things actually is a chain of good. One is that when you get to a certain level in the business, if you've lasted 20 years in the business, let's say, and you've spent eight of them at McCann and six of them at BDO and four of them at Publicis, that's about 20. And you're looking for a job. So you're 44, you're looking for a job. Everybody's book is about the same. If you've worked at big shops on big brands, it's really hard to tell the difference. There's yeah. the widens and the shyets of the world. Sure. But it's a little bit, hopefully this doesn't sound too gendered, but it, it's a little bit like looking at Vogue magazine. You can't say the model on page 37 is more beautiful than the model on page 44. It's personal taste. It's really hard to tell at that point. The level is so high. Just like with, with the basketball thing ended last night every guy out there is amazing maybe steph curry is a better than everybody else a draymond yeah. green or jason tatum or something but if you've made it to that level you're pretty good what i realized though is it, if you're looking for work and we're all always looking for work whether we have a job or not it's hard to distinguish yourself by book alone, by portfolio right. alone. And that's number one. I'll, I'll just finish and I'll stop. I know I give long answers. Number two is what I realized was a portfolio 
is a look back on what you have done. Right. A blog or ads for yourself or writing or a short film or poetry or juggling while riding a unicycle is what you can do. We, you can hardly go to a meeting in advertising without somebody saying, we have to show, not tell. And I was like, gee whiz, a portfolio is a tell. A blog is a show because mm-hmm. I'm showing you every day what I can do, That's how fair. I think, how I write, and just like you're doing now. And if we really believe the kind of epigrams that we spout so often in advertising, show, not tell, doing something every day is the best way of showing. We work in a, I'll use a fancy schmancy Latin word. We work in a quotidian world. It's daily. You have to be, you can't, if you own a bakery, you can't say I'm just baking every <laughs> other Tuesday. You right. bake every day. I Sorry. I don't feel like making rye bread today, but <laughs> I've got 22 people who come in for rye bread on Fridays. I got to make a rye. And if you don't do that, you don't stay in business. Yeah. Um, and this idea, and I think it, it comes a little bit from the professionalization of the industry, a little bit from the ad schoolization of the industry. The idea that we should take six or eight or 10 or 12 months to write an ad is bullshit. That's, yeah. you know, why should you spend longer working on something than it lasts? Right. It's like spending 40 years to build a house and it lasts for 40 months. I'm not going to do it. There's no money in that. That's interesting. And, and you bring up the point, like, when you get to a certain level, a lot of the work looks the same, more or less. But I think you can make that argument with the ad schools today. I think Absolutely. from the entry level perspective, uh, the VCU books, Miami ad school books, the the circus books, RIP, like they're all looking pretty much the same at this point. Because they study last year's award winners and they rip them off. They're right. not. If you say that the basic precept of communication is really simple, it's doing something different. I, your blog, your podcast gets noticed because you're doing something different. Whether it's the people you're talking to, it's your manner, or it's your subject matter. There's not 75 breaking and entering blogs. You're doing something different. You'll get noticed. Most advertised, most of the books that I see look the same. And they don't, I'll tell you a story. Literally 40 years ago, when the one club in New York was in a brownstone in the East 50s, because the industry was still in the East 50s, they had a show of, I'd say, luminous, big name ACDs, when ACD was a pretty high level where you had to have 15 years of award-winning experience to be an ACD. They had a show of about 10 ACDs first portfolios. And I was starting out. So I ran across town to see the show. And it was hard in those days to do that kind of thing. I didn't have money for a cab. So I ran across town to see the show. And I remember... Helene Spivak's book was there. People who had risen to the CCO, who eventually would rise to the CCO level, their books were there. That was the type of quality. 
And I remember saying, oh, yeah. I remember looking at Helene, who was someone I always admired. She's at VCU now, I think. And she had she was big deal at Ali at Amirati. I think she was creative chairman of... What's her name? Wine Arf. Helene, H-E-L-A-Y-N-E, Spivak, S-P-I-V-A-K, I think. She just turned 70, her birthday. But I remember, and I always modeled myself after her, one of the people I modeled myself after. And I remember, oh, her! I can see why she's a star. Her book is better than mine. I was being hard on myself, as we should be. And then I got to a guy called Patrick Kelly's book. And Patrick Kelly was Mike Tesh's partner. He's, he's dead now. He was Mike Tesh's partner. He was the copywriter on the great FedEx stuff in the early 80s, Fast Talking Man and whatnot. And it was his student portfolio. And I put myself in the portfolio because what it was, he must have gone to the A&P, to the grocery store, and taken a paper bag and torn it into eight squares. And he just wrote headlines on the squares. And they were so freaking great he didn't worry about how they looked he didn't worry about finding someone in those days it was draw who could draw and do squiggles where the copy went he just wrote eight great jokes on torn pieces of paper and had the balls to stand out and you know what he stood out and that's what's missing because a the industry wouldn't hire that guy today and why is that because we look for, because the key ingredient in hiring anyone, a babysitter for your child, a person to clean your house, someone to, to fix your car, you sometimes have to take a leap of faith. And we live in a world where leaps of faith aren't taken. That's why we have a 79-year-old president running against a 77-year-old candidate. We don't take leaps. You know, we had Obama. We did that. And maybe that was a leap of faith. And maybe that's why right now we're in an anti-leap. I'm not being political. I'm just saying it's hard to take a leap of faith. Your Your ass is in a sling. If you go, this guy doesn't have a conventional book or this woman doesn't have a conventional book. She didn't go to advertising school. But gee whiz, these lines are funny. You right. won't have people going, I'm going to roll the dice on her and pay her $57,000. You just won't have them doing it. It's too right. much of a risk for people. Yeah. It's if a you shame. Were putting a swimming, yeah. If you were putting a swimming pool in the backyard, though, you're not taking a leap of faith on a guy who <laughs> designed swimming pools that look like bug's eyes and they're fractal and they're <laughs> crazy. No, you're just going to get the pool your neighbor has. That's interesting. I don't have a pool, by the way. You can get one. Yeah, I could. I'm gonna. I'll have my wife digging one this afternoon. <laughs> on, on on your advice. Got it. Got it. I love it. So, tell me more about your background. So, I want to kick it back now. This part of the conversation, sure. like your break into advertising. Name of the show. Very simple. Yep. That's why I like the name of the show. Breaking entering. Yeah. The show is great. So I I came in. I'm a third generation ad person. And my father's brother, my uncle, Sidney, opened up an agency in Philadelphia. 
just after the end of World War II. And got everything was local then. There wasn't really a national advertising audience. And he had Alpo dog food, which was made in Allentown. He had the Philadelphia Phillies. He did oh, some nice. work for... Before that was prestigious, having a baseball team, by the way. He did some work for a company across the river from Philadelphia and Camden, New Jersey, called RCA. That was just after the war. My father was 15. My father, Stanley Tannenbaum, was 15 years younger than Sydney, And he went to work there while he was still in college and then got a job at RCA, which was the Apple of its day. And in fact, bigger than Apple in its day in that they owned one of the three or two major networks, NBC, they owned. And my father did some work there for a few years and got a job at an agency in New York. So I grew up in the business. I grew up, believe it or not, we always had at Advertising Age, the magazine in our house. And the back cover of Advertising Age was always six black and white photographs of old men in high collars. And it would be like, you had to match the men to their partners. So it would be like Bozell and Jacobs. <laughs> that was ad advertising agents ad campaign. In any event, I grew up in the business. I never wanted to go into business. My father suffered from madman illness. He was, you know, a little bit of a drunk, I had a couple of heart attacks by the time he was 45. And I saw it as a devastating way to make a living. And growing up in the hippie era as I did. I'm still not a very materialistic person. And I wanted to be a college professor, but then I didn't do well in graduate school. And I was living in Manhattan, a dangerous and expensive Manhattan. I said, well, I don't know what to do. My parents weren't supporting me financially, and I had rent to pay. And so I got a job. I answered an ad in the New York Times, believe it or not. And they used to have an ad campaign for their classified section called, I got my job for the New York Times. I got my job for the New York Times. I got a job as a copywriter at a giant Chicago catalog house called Montgomery Ward. And for $225 a week. And that's where I cut my teeth. And the good news was- This was, was in Chicago? No, this is in New York. The, their fashion, quote unquote, fashion departments were in New York. So shoe buying and clothing okay. were in New York. We were in, in the garment district and uh, across from Madison Square Garden. And uh, I was poor. And But you learn to write on schedule. You learn to take briefs from because buyers were clients. And you had to write on demand and you had to write to fit. So you would get a piece of paper in the morning, believe it or not, and your art director would say, there's four copy blocks on this page. They're each eight lines by 47 characters. And you had typing paper. <laughs> and the left-hand column, it had the line number, so 1 to 20. And on the yeah. right hand, and, and across the top, the axis, the whatever, the X or the Y, I forget which, it would be a character count. There'd be little dotted lines and heavier lines on the fives and tens. So you go, I've got eight lines. You draw a pencil mark at eight and 47 characters. You draw a pencil mark at 47. And that was your copy space. 
And oh my you, goodness. Oh, but it was so smart. How many times if you're in the social world and you, yeah. and, and you tell people oh, you have 120 characters yeah. in this Twitter thing and then they write it 168 characters and they go, how do I get 40? Why don't we have a piece of paper that does that? There you go. <laughs> Seriously. So I did that. And then um, I went to school of visual arts. What, how old the school of visual arts? I've heard this multiple times. Yeah. Is this still a relevant school right now? I'm out of it because I'm 127 years old, but pe- people still go there. Because that's, that's, that's where everybody that, that's where everybody seems to that, start. that was Mecca. It wasn't a four year school, it was an after work school. And right. as vo- vo- it was Votech, there were kids who went there for undergraduate, but it was a, te- a Votech school. As a young person living in the city, you didn't have to go to your parents and ask them to pay for it. It was like, I think I paid $320, which was a week's salary at that point. And you're taught by pros in the business. And the equation of the school was really clear. If you work hard and you're good, you'll build a book. If you think your shit doesn't stink, you'll get nothing out of this. You get it. And yeah. And it was 10 weeks, basically. And and I think the rigor of it was more like the real world than ad schools are today in that you'd get class would be Wednesday night, you'd get an assignment Wednesday night, you'd come in the next Wednesday night, and you'd have to show your work. You got a week, just like you got yeah. in an agency. And, and then in between... You'd part. You'd find someone to partner with, or you'd keep working on things that good got a good review or a good response from your professor. And then, when the day, yeah. But School of Visual Arts. As a matter of fact, if anyone is listening to this, if there's, if you have an iPhone and you go to the App Store and you download SVA or School of Visual Arts app, you get an app with everybody's portfolio, and you still. Oh, I, I mean, it's, it's kind. Of, yeah, it's amazing. I'm shocked more people don't. More young people don't see what their competition looks like. And oh, more right. Eight, we talk about that more, in the show. You yeah, need to be looking more, at other portfolios, award-winning portfolios, of course. Yeah. Like I'm telling people annual. all the time. Yeah. I tell this to people all... As a matter of fact, actually, Gino, on earlier this week on my blog, and I'm not advertising now, but there was an article in the New York Times on June 5th, two Sundays ago, by a guy called Charles Blow, who's been an op-ed writer for there for 25 years. And he wrote an article called 30 Years of What I Learned While Being in the Trenches. And he talks about, this is 1990, he's from the Deep South, he's African-American, mm-hmm. really the first in his family to go to college. He wanted a job at the New York Times, but forgot or didn't fail to sign up for an interview at the job fair in Atlanta. But he knew he wanted a job at the Times. He said, I sat at the booth all day waiting for someone to cancel. And by the time someone did cancel at the end of the day, I had six hours of opposition research. And I knew exactly what the questions were going to be and how to yeah. answer them. It's opposition research, guys. <laughs> like, yeah. you have to know what your competition's doing. Now, I'm not trying to be a... 
a thug about this, but it's a competitive world. Yes, absolutely. You, and yeah, that's so, why we, so I, and that's why I, I have every guest list out their recommended resources to stay ahead. It's, it is to get an edge. This podcast is for people that want to break in to get an edge. Right. That's exactly, it is a competition. So I always tell people, go to Working Not Working, the website, look at people's portfolios, spend time on LinkedIn. When I was young in the business and portfolios were still physical, you would stay late and sneak behind reception and look at people's books. What's my competition doing? So what would you do today then? If you were looking to break in today, like what would you do? I think, I think some of the things we've already talked about, you have to have a great book. You have to constantly be working on their, on your book. I think you have to do something. I think you have to do something on a regular basis to show that you exist. I now, love this, this might be com- a complicated thought, but me getting my first agency job, my wife just walked into the room. I think I looked at 41 different, I dropped my book off at 41 different agencies. There were many more agencies in those days. It was pre-holding company. But today there's really only in New York. This is New York, not even a smaller city. New York is still the center of the ad world. And that might yeah. be coming from a New Yorker. So apologies. No, it's fair. But there's really only 10 or 12 agencies if you want a long career in advertising. And if you drop your book at, say, I'm just going to say an agency, I don't mean anything by it, at BBDO on January 9th, and by January 16th, you get a note that says, Dear Gino, loved your book. Unfortunately, there's nothing now. Stay in touch. So we're at January 16th. You really can't contact the people of BBDO until March. How are you going to stay busy looking for work? And if something comes up in those intervening two months, how do you move your name to the top of that list? Because it's going to naturally tumble because out of sight, out of mind. So you have to figure out this is old fashioned advertising. If we were talking about direct mail, if this was a podcast about direct mail, I'd say you need a touch strategy. How do I, there's only six or eight gatekeepers in the industry. You can only talk to them once every six or eight weeks. And how do you keep yourself top of mind? That's called a touch strategy. I have to figure out a way to knock on your door without being obnoxious, especially if you're shy. How do you do it? So that's what I would, that's, this is what I tell people to do. It's, I don't really, I'm not heavy duty DM person, direct marketing or customer relationship marketing. But I have to find a way to keep my face in front of yours and stand out. The joke that I've heard among recruiters is they always have 150 tabs open on their computer because they're getting so many books to look at. How do you move? How do you move? You know what? If you go to the grocery store tonight and you say, I sell a soup that isn't Campbell's. How do I get to the front of the shelf? That's your job. How am I going to get to the front of the shelf? 
or how do I make people look at me because I don't have Campbell's budget, but right. you have to get to the front of the shelf. Mm-hmm. And, and actually the food metaphor isn't a bad metaphor in that when I was a kid, if you went to the local A&P, there were probably 40 different sodas. Now 90% of the soda section is dominated by Coke and Pepsi. You can't right. get in there. How are you going to get in there? Or the same thing with beer. I think Molson Coors and InBev have 75% of the beer market in the United States. How do you get in there? You stand so it's out. the same thing ad- advertising. There's four agents, five holding companies. How do you get in? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's a fun one. If it's about you and your, but we're talking about yourself and your career, that's, that should be the most exciting brief you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. How do you get, and this is what we were talking about a few minutes ago. How do you do something different? So you get noticed. Yeah. And because even if your mom put all your artwork on your, on the refrigerator, when you're growing up, nobody else knows that. And right. And no, and it doesn't matter to anyone. So you better do something different. That's what it's about. And I always err on like my philosophy. And I'm ta- I have an intern here at Havas. And, and I briefed her. I was like, "How do you like for your internship project? How are you gonna get it out to the world, or how are you right. gonna stand out in general? Either you or your project." And I always say, err on the side of consistency and document your process or, along the way. It's not about being a thought leader on your first blog or your first blog or your first podcast or whatever you're doing. I've always err on the side that you are documenting your progress along the way. And if you do that consistently, like what I did with the podcast or you did with the blog, it'll eventually form into something bigger. So I always say, just start doing something today, whatever it is. Yeah. I, I told this story a couple of times on my blog. I was fortunate enough a bunch of commercials a couple times with Errol Morris, the Academy Award winning director. And the first time I shot with him, I'm in a casting session with him. I'm out in LA in a casting session. And I go, oh my God, Errol Morris and casting. It's like Bobby Bonds, uh, Barry Bonds and home runs. I am going to learn so much. I was expecting this, this insight, these pearls of wisdom. And I sat there and go, I'm, I'm sitting there as a student. What is Errol? How does Errol find people? Yeah. You're in a casting room. It's a 20 by 20 room, badly lit. You're sitting at a Formica table, bored out of your mind, uncomfortable chair. And there's a piece of tape on the floor and lights and a cameraman, you know, with a video camera. And the person comes in and says, Marsha Drake, 5'7" side view front view and she either reads something or she doesn't read something or errol asks her a question and errol will say something like tell me about your first bike ride and marsh will say i got my i got oh i got a bike when i was four and i fell down i scraped my knees i almost had bleeding knees until i was 17 okay and then errol answered Errol gave me the best advice I ever got. He says, okay, Cheryl, whatever name I chose, do something different. That's his casting advice. Do something different. And and most actors, most people will just go, what do you mean? Do something different. What do you mean? 
different from what? Do something different. And it's that's all we've been talking about so far. From yeah. Patrick Kelly's book to everything else, it's do something. Everybody looks like you. And I'm not talking, I'm not making a diversity claim here. But it's just like, how do you do? Gee whiz. I don't know how to buy anything anymore because nobody tells me our product is different. Yeah. Wow. That's it. That, yeah. I, now that you say that, that makes a lot of sense. Just do something, do something different. And yeah. I mean, that was your point about VCU portfolios. I'm not picking on VCU, but do something yeah. different. Seriously. I love it. I love it. Do you have any examples or anything like that comes top of mind? You mean work wise? Sure. I think I don't watch a lot of TV. I don't see a lot of really good ads. The last really great ad I saw, I think, was the the Apple series for underdogs. The crew of four who are pissed off at their boss because she's stupid. First, they make the round pizza box. Then they're working from home. It was a series of three spots, each of around six or seven minutes. It was the best entertainment I've seen since COVID. What's it called? If you look up, I think it's Apple Underdogs. And it's a cast of four or five people and they're working for a company for a Harridan of a boss and okay. they have an idea and they can't get it out there. Yep. And the boss somehow rear ends one of them in a parking lot. And she says, is there anything I can do for you? And she says, actually we'd like a meeting. And she says, okay, Thursday. And the young woman who's talking said, thinks she means next Thursday, the 21st, but she really means Thursday, the seventh, the 12th. And so now they have to scramble and make the idea and they use all the Apple equipment technology mm. to make the idea. And it's a fabulous drama and it. it's like nothing else as, and it's not five bars, $49 a month, five bars, $49 a month. Sure. It's not bad or balloons in a Hyundai showroom. <laughs> sure. Love it. It's not. Yeah. It, it's terrific commercial idea that's the best it's funny for about 20 years now i've been keeping a list i call it george's magical list and it's information graphics mostly from the new york times and the wall street journal of really complicated things explained in extraordinarily simple and beautiful ways okay it could be a you it could be a user interface technique. It could be video. It could be. But what I found is that journalists, I've talked to Rob Schwartz about this, that journalists, because they're in a tooth and nail competition for clicks, they don't get yeah. paid if they don't get clicks. They're being more innovative than we are. And in, in the ad industry and I go on some of these things. I literally have a 20-page list of probably 10 URLs per page. And they'll tell a story about how New York City gets its water. And you'll spend 15 minutes on something that esoteric because they've told a beautiful story. And it's like, why aren't we doing this? Wow. Interesting. 
And you have a link to this? I'll send it to you. My only rule is you're not allowed to share it with assholes because, because uh, no, I, I figure really it's 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 ten or fifteen years of labor on my part. Yeah. So it, it's worth a where, fortune. Where do you publish it? Do you sell it? What do you? No, do? no, no. I give it to when I'm working with a partner. So I don't always work alone. When I'm working with a partner on a difficult assignment, I say maybe we should because I don't think digitally nat- naturally that's not my training the same way a television art director or copywriter would say oh how would you know gnome shoot this or how would lance shoot this we keep track of people in the industry of directors and photographers but we never right. tre- keep track of interactive designers which seems derelict on my part so I've kept this list and when I'm working with someone or I have an idea I want to explain to a client, I say, well, take a look at this and they usually get it. And it's just a more, I don't know. It's just, it's a different way of sharing information. That's what this is about. Okay. I'll send it to you if you promise not to share. Okay. I appreciate it. All right, George, I'm going to, I'm going to cap it off here, but can people okay. reach out to you and ask you any questions? Maybe get that list if they're, if they deem, if you deem them worthy. Yeah. The only thing is, um, very, as you probably know, the we got together pretty quickly. I'm pretty busy. So if I'm not responding, it's not because I'm an idiot or mean or yeah, of course. stupid. It's just because I'm busy. So give me a little time and be, be persistent. Because uh, what's the method that you prefer? I prefer LinkedIn is usually good. I'm pretty heavy in the in the LinkedIn world or email. You can find my email. Sometimes email gets gets thrown to the bottom. LinkedIn is a little easier for me. Perfect. Um, But but LinkedIn. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Perfect. George, I really appreciate you coming on, telling your story, talking about the blog, giving your advice. Is there my, anything my else that you want to bring know. up? No, I, I think. Yeah, one thing that I'm a little pissed about, not with you, but I get a lot of calls from people going, How do I find a job? And I've written 6,000 posts on my blog since 2007 just about wow. 6000 just and i'd say of the 6000 1200 105 is about looking for a job getting noticed how to make a phone call whatever and it's you know what guys do a little work i'm not going to freaking tell you how to do how to get a job i write this stuff I put Charles Blow out there because it's, he's someone I respect and yep. he told some interesting stories. And it's don't ask your professor, do the reading. And there's a lot of people out there who are doing what I do. You know, they're writing stories about how they get started, how they, what their work ethic is, so on and so forth. Don't expect someone to make it easy for you. Because it's, it's not easy. And it, it gets me a little, 
I usually, I'm a pretty nice person. I have a call after this with a young woman who is looking to move on and I'm taking the call. Sure. There's a lot of stuff. I'm not talking about like Simon Sinek and Seth Godin bullshit and the hustle culture, but there's a lot of, even the stuff you and I talked about today, touch strategies, doing something different, being daily about it or three times a week or four times a week, writing a chronicle. A lot of people are talking about this stuff. Maybe we know. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And none of us are saying, oh, my father was rich. So I, uh, I just had him make calls for me. None of us are saying that. The function is almost always hard work and persistence. I love it. It's It's, it's, a good reminder. Yeah. I think I wrote on the blog the other day that Molly Ivins, the great Houston, great writer for, I think, the Houston Chronicle, said about George W. Bush, he was born on third base and thinks he hit a triple. The industry doesn't need people who were born on third base and think right. they hit a triple. The industry needs people who are scrapping to get onto first, steal second, go to third on a bunt, and then steal home. That's steal what home. we need. Yeah. And we'll end it there. Perfect, George. Okay. I appreciate okay. you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this entire episode of the Breaking and Entering Advertising Podcast. If you like what you heard, it would mean a lot to us and help us grow and get better guests, better break-ins. If you can go to Apple podcasts and leave us five stars and a small review, if you have the time, be sure to connect with our guests. If you like what they said by going to our Instagram at breaking and entering pod, it's all one word breaking and entering pod on Instagram. We have links to their portfolios and their LinkedIn and they want to connect. So do that. And thank you. Thank you to Mikey Malarkey, our audio engineer, and Uchan Zhang, our creative director. Can't do without you two. And a team from the University of Illinois. It's a student team from the agency called AdBuzz, their PR agency. And it's been a pleasure working with them. Thank you all so much. And we will see you next week with another amazing guest.